Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Chip Conley. Chip coined the term modern elder. And in this conversation, we talk about what that means. We talk about the difference between knowledge and wisdom, knowledge being the accumulation of facts or even experiences, but wisdom being the practical application of knowledge based on personal experience and distilling information down to what is essential and being an elder. Being an elder doesn't mean you're elderly. It doesn't have as much to do with age as it does being ahead of somebody else and helping them just like others have helped you. We also talk about metabolized experience, which is the understanding and digestion of life lessons, which then allows you to turn that into wisdom to do good things, to help others with, and even to help yourself. It's all about self-awareness here and lending that to others. So this is a really fun conversation for me, and I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Chip Conley. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Chip Conley. Chip, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Thank you, Eric. Great to be here. So I am really glad to talk with you today because we've talked about the topic of mentorship in the past. We've talked about, you know, guidance and, you know, helping others and vice versa, you know, finding a mentor, being a mentee, all those kind of good things that kind of factor in. But we've never actually talked about being an elder or a modern elder, as you have coined the term of. And so I'm curious, let's kick it right off here by saying, I've never heard that term before, but you coined it. What does that mean? And how did you come up with that? Well, let me, yeah, let me give you the the origin story here. I'm honored to be here with you. Thank you. So for 24 years, I was a boutique hotelier from age 26 to age 50, created a company called Joie de Vivre based in San Francisco. It's the second largest boutique hotel company in the US, about 52 boutique hotels around California. And then I sold it and I didn't know what was next. And a couple of years later, I was asked by the three founders of Airbnb, this was more than 10 years ago, to join them to help democratize hospitality. So I was 52 at the time. The average age in the company was 26. It was not a big company. And so I joined. And within the first week, I was realizing, oh my God, I am old enough to be all these folks' parents. And I'm the dumbest person in this building because I'd never worked in a tech company before. But I was also perceived as the wisest. And after about a month, the founders pulled me aside and I thought they were going to say, Chip, this isn't working out. You're too old. But no, actually what they said is, Chip, this is working out spectacularly. We hired you for your knowledge, but what you really gave us was your wisdom. You are officially Airbnb's modern elder. I was like, I don't want to be a modern elder. That sounds like AARP's magazine. And then they said back to me, Yes, Chip, a modern elder is a great thing. It is someone who's as curious as they are wise. 
And from that point forward, when I heard about this alchemy of curiosity and wisdom, I owned it. And I said, okay, I will be a modern elder. And that's how this started 10 years ago. Okay. So my curiosity here is you mentioned the words that I think a lot of people would say are synonymous or the same, which is knowledge and wisdom. But you said there's a difference there. So let's explain that because I want to make sure that we have a clear delineation between those two. They almost, in my mind, I love Venn diagrams. They almost overlap, but I think they just touch and then they stop. What's your take? They definitely overlap for sure, for sure. But they're, but they're certainly not the same thing. And a lot of people think that they are. So Eric, what is the capital of Indiana? It's Indianapolis, right? Yes. So that, that's knowledge, but that's not wisdom. But understanding how to create a meeting with a collection of adversaries that's going to be successful and what you need to do to prepare for that, that has a piece of knowledge in it, but has a lot of wisdom in it. So the way I like to think of it is, is knowledge is like a, an arithmetic equation. You accumulate knowledge. You would get this knowledge and then that knowledge and that knowledge. Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge based upon personal experience. So wisdom is actually not a plus equation. It is a division equation. It's distilling a lot of information down to what is essential. So they're both important, but in an era where AI, artificial intelligence is so prevalent, all the world's knowledge used to be just on this little phone in my pocket, but now it's accessible through AI. And what's really scarce is wisdom. And I define wisdom, you know, technically as metabolized experience, in essence, understanding and digesting your life lessons, which leads to distilled compassion. And the second part of that is because wisdom, when it's really in its rawest form, is a social good. If you're really smart about what, you know, your life and all your experiences, then you're shrewd. And to be shrewd is fine. I want a shrewd person next to me at a negotiating table. But wisdom is a different thing. Wisdom is something that actually has the far-reaching benefits beyond the individual who happens to have the wisdom. So yeah, that's what wisdom is. And to my mind, the future of the business world is not about knowledge management. It's about wisdom management. Yeah. And I love that you delineate or, or differentiate, I should say, between knowledge and wisdom in that wisdom isn't just your experiences. It's knowing what to do with them. It's being able to handle that lens of looking at your experiences and then metabolize. You use the word metabolize, which is a very interesting way to put it. Well, to metabolize something means that you've digested it. You're taking in the nutrients. And I'm not going to get into bodily functions too much, <laughs> but, but ultimately some goes away, but some stays. And it's the process of looking at what stays and how does that provide nourishment and fuel for you moving forward that's the key. And this is something I've done since I was age 28, I'm 62 now, called my wisdom book. And every weekend I sit down for 20 to 30 minutes and I will write a series of bullet points of what I learned that week. It could be in my personal life. It could be in my professional life, but it's just like some of the key lessons. So it's not a diary. It's not my emotional experience around them. It's more like, hey, I learned that um, if I want to present something to my leadership team, I better actually present it to the two critics first before actually presenting it to all the people, because guess what? They're going to have their fingerprints on it. So that's something I learned the hard way at age 28, that at age 62 now is part of my metabolized experience. So that exercise of doing a wisdom book is something you could do on a leadership team. You say, hey, we're all going to do this for a quarter. Make a list each weekend of what you learned this week. At the end of the quarter, 
we're going to ask each of you, the eight of you, what was your biggest lesson of the quarter? And then we as a leadership team are going to actually see what was our biggest lesson as a team for the quarter. And if you do something like that on a quarterly basis, what you're doing is a collective metabolization of experience and a sharing of best practices and an openness to some vulnerability because frankly, expressing lessons often speaks to the idea that something didn't go the way you expected it to go and you didn't get it all right. So that's just one of, you know, Chip's tools in my toolbox that I offer companies to talk about wisdom management. I love that you're bridging the gap between individualized wisdom and on into corporate, or I guess I would say team-based or community-based wisdom, that it's not just, you know, my experience and me looking back at my experience and seeing what I've learned, but then also sharing that with others in a round robin and cumulative pool of knowledge. And this is something we do at the Modern Elder Academy. You know, we have a, a campus in Baja, in uh, Southern Baja in Mexico, and we will have a campus opening up in Santa Fe, New Mexico in the new year. And the whole premise is the idea of like leadership teams come here, senior leaders from other organizations like peer-to-peer networks like YPO and EO, they come here partly because there's a real value in sharing wisdom. I believe that wisdom is not taught, it's shared. So creating an environment, and we do that at MEA, the Modern Elder Academy, doing that to allow people to understand and metabolize their experience and then share it with others is powerful and yet not all of that institutionalized in how organizations operate today. Interesting. Yeah. I want to go back to, you called it the... My Wisdom Book. Book, my, my yes. Wisdom book. But I believe yeah. that if I'm remembering right, it started off as a journal. You know, it was a journal. It was a journal that I'd never written in. And when I was at a low point at age 28, I was CEO of a company for two years at that point when we were going through a tough time. I pulled it off the wall and said, I don't want to write about my emotions right now. I just want to write about why I feel so stupid right now and what I can learn from that. So that's how it started with a journal that someone had given me that I never had written in. And now I use Google Docs. It's all in Google Docs. <laughs> well, I think we've all got, you know, somewhere around here. I, I bet I could go. I'm on the other side. My desk is up against this bookshelf of mine. I'm sure I've got some, either I purchased it or received it as a gift or probably both those things sitting there that I had good intentions about using as a journal. I'm much more of a, a digital person when it comes to journaling. I will actually use my phone and I'm an audio processor. So, I mean, I'll take a walk and I'll do a, like a walk and talk to record mm-hmm. it. And then I'll read through it later and kind of say, okay, let's process this. And I'm older than 28 by a number of years now. I'm curious, obviously we're talking modern elder. Is there kind of a an age range that we should consider as the window or is it just anyone who's beyond or f- a little further down the road than others? Yeah, that's a great question. This is not modern elderly. <laughs> elderly is maybe the last five or 10 years of your life. But to be an elder is, is a relative term. It's a function of who you're surrounded by. Tom Brady at 45 was a, certainly a modern elder as a quarterback in the NFL. But, you know, if you're a Silicon Valley engineer at 32, you might be a, an elder. If you're a, a fashion model at 28, you might be an elder. In the advertising business today, if you're in your 40s, you're an elder. So elder is a relative term. It speaks to who you're surrounded by. And that's why I ultimately accepted and owned the term at Airbnb because I was twice the age of the average person there. 
in a different context of 50 and 60 year olds, I probably wouldn't consider myself an elder in that group. So it is very much a function of who you're surrounded by. Got it. I think that, you know, a lot of people, I like I was alluding to, have a journal sitting around and have maybe had good intentions at some point. And despite what their age is now, whether they're 28 or younger, like, you know, you were at the time when you started or have moved up on in years, you know, we've talked about the benefits of journaling in the past, not necessarily in the way that you're talking about it, which is great. You're almost doing one part. Well, I wouldn't even say it's journaling. I would say you're you're doing kind of a collect your thoughts and a weekly assessment slash take the pulse. And you're calling it a wisdom book too. Yeah. And just a quick thought, Eric. In some ways, it's taking my biggest preoccupations or even disappointments of the week or revelations and saying, I've got to document this. I've got to like look at what went on there rather than it just stewing in my head. Sometimes it's just, if it's just there and you haven't actually taken it and made it tangible or conscious, it's just messing with your, your happiness. And so I just wanted to like take it out of my brain and put it into a place and then make sense of it. Because frankly, learning how to make sense and meaning out of something that might've actually been painful is a great way to get out of despair because it, you start to feel like there's a purpose. There's something of some value in that life lesson. I've got three different thoughts, so I'm going to try and hold all three of them and release them here. So first one being, David Allen says that your brain is for having thoughts, not holding them. So this is a release valve, which brings me to my second point. I like to call that offloading your mental RAM, right? (laughs) So that you're clearing up and able to have more cognitive function in general uh, and do something with it. Getting it out of your head means it's, it's almost like putting the clay up on, you know, getting it up off the floor and out onto the the workstation so you can actually work with it. And then the third point was it's metabolizing. It's the metabolizing of those experiences. A lot of people can accumulate knowledge. That's great. A lot of people can accumulate experiences. But if you're not taking that third piece of metabolizing, actually being, let's use the word critical and analytical and even appreciative of that experience and using those experiences to turn, you know, kind of, it, it's almost making sausage. You pour the, you pour the experience in the top, you crank it and out comes the wisdom. I love the visual. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's, that's really cool. I really like this. So I would say to anybody out there, is there any way that you would say, you know, and again, regardless of age, where they're at right now, if they've got a journal or they can pull out, you know, just a notes app, how would you suggest people get started using this practice of using a wisdom book? Wisdom at any age. Let's start by saying, you know, you can have a wise 30-year-old and an unwise 70-year-old. So, so much of that has to do with the metabolization of experience. So I'd start with the following, you know, put 30 minutes in your calendar every weekend, just like for the next four weeks, put it in your calendar. Doesn't have to be the same time, but for simplicity, maybe you say it's the same time. Let's say you're an early riser and the rest of your family is not, or whomever you're with, your spouse, your friends, Put it at eight in the morning, seven in the morning. Just say, okay, I'm going to spend 30 minutes. You know, you don't have to have a journal. You could actually just do this in a Google or Microsoft doc and ask yourself, what were the key experiences I I had this week that were maybe disquieting, maybe provocative or something that just felt like something new you hadn't experienced before? Write down what was the experience. If you want, if you want to get in a little more of the emotional direction, say, what did it make you feel? Because that's a nice way to, process it as well. But then like, what is the key lesson moving forward? 
and then articulate that. So as I said earlier, I presented a new idea at a meeting with our senior leaders and the two critics who are always critics just didn't give me the light of day to get the idea across. And it made me feel small. It made me feel angry. And the lesson I have moving forward is I know those two people are critics by nature. I want to go to them and present individually to the two of them before I'm presenting it to everybody else. Because I actually sort of want to hear their thoughts, but I also want to co-op them. (laughs) I want them to feel like their fingerprints are on this so that when I present it, everybody will be surprised that the two critics are saying, this is a great idea. So that is a great, simple case study. And I would say if you have three or six or eight of those every week and you start to metabolize them, you get wiser. I also, like during the dot-com bust, I was like, oh man, going through all kinds of stuff as a hotel, you're in mostly hotels in the Bay Area. And then I went through the Great Recession, hotel challenge again. I went back to some of my, you know, wisdom books from six years earlier to actually say, what did I learn back then? And that was really valuable too. And we do this at MEA, at the Modern Elder Academy. We help people to create their first wisdom book. And what's fascinating now that we've been open, MEA has been open for five years now, is we see the value of how a person feels like they have accelerated their wisdom. The average age of people who come to our programs is 54. We have over 3,000 alums from 42 countries, but we've had people as young as 28 and as old as 88. So it's a wide variety of people. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think what's key here, and I really am glad we brought up the wisdom book first because I think it really encapsulates your approach here. I think the other key piece, and I alluded to this a little bit when I mentioned David Allen earlier, 
one of the things that I love that he talks about is doing a brain dump and that this kind of is a version of that. The thing is, is a lot of people don't do that. They don't spend time talking about or studying or practicing specifically self-awareness for themselves. And so they just feel stuck. They feel stuck in a position. They feel stuck in a business, in an entity, in a, on a team that maybe they're not the right fit for. And I know that you've got a lot of different ways to approach moving into the next chapter or into our gifts or into service and not just due to age, but kind of maintaining a beginner and learning and metabolizing approach all throughout. Yeah. Well, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The work of life is to develop it. And the purpose of life is to give it away. So learning what your gift is, we do an exercise at MEA, which helps people to really understand it. You know, it's a a repeating question where Eric, you and I, we won't do it right now, but if you and I were doing it, I would ask you the following question. One is, what business are you in, Eric? And then you'd answer it. And I'd say, thank you, Eric. What business are you in? And you'd, you have five, five opportunities to answer it, but you can't answer the same way twice. The second way to do it, and which is maybe more specific to what we're talking about here, is, Eric, uh, what master or gift can you offer? You answer it. And we get to the gift. We get to like, what's the talent? What's the world-class strength? that might be hard for someone to articulate. You wouldn't see it on their LinkedIn profile. So I've learned I'm a social alchemist doing this exercise. I am a social alchemist. And I think that's true. In my whole life, you know, I can look at my history. I have been a mixologist of people. And yet I only figured that out based upon this exercise. So we do that kind of exercise to help people to understand your gift. Because if the meaning of life is to find your gift, the work of life is to develop it. And then the purpose of life is to give it away. It has to start with discovering the gift. And for most people, they don't get there. And I think that's part of the reason why MEA, Modern Elder Academy, has become so popular is because there's a lot of people at any age, but especially people who are, let's say in their 40s and 50s, who know they have a lot of careers still ahead of them, who know they have a desire to create, to have purpose and to maybe even have a sense of legacy in their work. But they just don't have the tools because generally speaking, we sort of think of life as a three-stage journey. You learn until you're 20 or 25, you earn until you're 65, and then you're, you retire, adjourn until you die. And we need like a midlife pit stop for people to come and actually reimagine and repurpose themselves. And that's why we're the world's first midlife wisdom school and have built quite a collection of alumni. So speaking of that, and this term has come up a number of times recently because I have an 18-year-old daughter and she's graduating from high school. I know that you mentioned taking a gap year. What does that necessarily mean and how does that fit into this when we're talking adulthood versus, you know, that high school to college university traditional gap year slot? Yeah, I think there's two ways we've historically thought of gap years. Gap year is, yes, between high school and college, if you take a year off. Aussies do, Australians do. They go there, walk about and take a gap year because there's actually some history. Actually, if, you, if you're in the government in Australia, I think every 10 years you get a gap year. I mean, it's actually built into the plan. So, But what's happening is there's a growing number of people. And I think COVID accelerated this even further, but digital nomadism has been around for a while. And so people being digital nomads, whether they're working while they're traveling or they're just taking a break. But what I think has happened more recently and COVID accelerated it is this idea that people in the middle of their careers are having a sense that they need to press the reset button, but not go out and get a different job. You know, uh, when we make change in our life, 
change is usually, usually situational or circumstantial, but a transition is psychological or spiritual. Like literally something has changed inside of me. And just taking a week to collect your thoughts before you actually start putting out your resume again is not necessarily going to allow you to have a transition. It might allow you to have a change, but then two years later, you're going to be complaining about your next boss or your next job because you didn't really actually take the time. So gap years have become interesting. And there's a a woman named Mary Catherine Bateson, a Harvard anthropologist who recently passed away, who coined the term midlife atrium. What she says is like, we have a lot more longevity than we did 50 years ago globally. But the way we sort of look at life is as if this additional longevity is two additional bedrooms in the backyard. So we're just old longer. And she said, that's not what's happening. What's happening is we've created a midlife atrium. You have to like re-architect the home to create this space in the middle of your life because you have more midlife as opposed to more old life. And yet when you have a midlife atrium, it provides air and light and quiet and reflection time. And that's why a lot of people are doing the gap year in midlife. They're actually looking at, I want to do a midlife atrium and I need to go take a gap year or even just a gap two months. Something that actually creates the space for someone to reflect and ask questions. And that's why MEA is also so popular because it is a place where people come to spend time to look at those kinds of questions. Yeah, I was going to say some people might find it a little bit difficult, especially post-pandemic, post-majority of the pandemic to fiscally say, I can take a full year off and do a gap year that way or do an atrium. I think that there's still some benefit in maybe taking, you know, brief chunks of time. I mean, again, I would, I would defer to you, like what's the minimum effective dose here (laughs) continually? Well, I think there's two kinds of doses. There's the daily dose which could be meditation or whatever your reflection time is. You know, at at MEA, we talk about, you know, doing all walks, going in nature for a walk with your dog. I mean, truly, that is an opportunity for a reflection. It's an opportunity for your brain to actually operate in a different way functionally than it does when it's actually solving problems. So I think there's the daily dose and then there's like, what's the minimum dose? Otherwise, you know, we have people come to MEA for five night programs or seven night programs, and it is transformative in a way that allows them to feel like they've had a year of therapy or a year of career counseling. So I do think there are programs that people can go to. Sometimes people go do a, a silent meditation retreat. Sometimes people go and do some reskilling. They go, go to a, you know, a Harvard or Stanford executive education program for a week. I would be careful about doing the executive education as thinking that that's the opportunity to sort of reimagine because usually those programs are so caught up in filling your head, accumulating knowledge, giving you some more knowledge. They're not usually as oriented toward helping you to see your options beyond what's obvious. And so I think helping your brain to sort of look at things a little bit in a new fashion is part of what we try to do at MEA. And I think what any program that's really trying to help you to see how do you repurpose yourself is going to have to look at beyond the mind, but the body and the soul as well. I think one of the other key pieces here is in my head, I'm thinking there's a perspective shift that's going to happen too. again, not just with the wisdom book and the learning and practicing of the skill of metabolizing experience into wisdom, but shifting perspective And even you alluded to this a little bit when you went back and looked at older journals, it's to say, well, those are previous lessons, but they're not, you know, captured in amber like Jurassic Park, you know, 
dinosaur DNA. It's a living, breathing thing. Your memories are part of you and walk forward with you, but you take time to come back to them and revisit them. Couple of thoughts there. Number one is how I might see those past experiences today at 62 might be different than how I saw them at age 52. And if I'm looking back at when I was 35, so, so there's a new pair of glasses I'm wearing. And secondly, the circumstances in which I am living in my life might be more relevant when look, I'm looking at, at 62 than I was at 52. So it's the combination of the fact that I'm older and I have a new perspective of what I'm reading. And two is I have circumstances that may be more relevant at 62 than they were at 52. So they're great resources long-term. I've never gotten to the point of actually creating like a librarian function here to say with my journals that were just written, there's no way to do it. But my Google Docs now, I can just do a word search and say like, okay, I want to do a word search for meaning at work or something like that. And I can do that. And I can also tag things if I wanted to. So, which I have never done, but it would be easy to do. But I, I usually just do a word search and that, that will bring up something from the past. And I may go back to something, because I've been using Google Docs now for a dozen years. I might go back to something that was seven years ago that I can just have like that. And wow, there's a couple of times when I've done that where like, oh my God, like mind is blown because when I actually wrote it down or, you know, typed it in seven years ago, I didn't realize how profound it was. And now I look at it and it's like, oh man. Because as, as Steve Jobs said at his commencement ceremony at Stanford, when he gave a speech, he just said, you know, you connect the dots moving backwards, more so than moving forwards. And so that's why this is valuable as well. And I think that the other key piece here is I know that you've got a number of other different things that you do at the Modern Elder Academy. And even I've read about where, like, for example, one of the things that people kind of get is some drift in life especially in that midlife area. I don't want to call it a crisis because that's maybe not necessarily appropriate way to put it. Work it to chrysalis. It's not a crisis, it's a chrysalis. <laughs> the caterpillar to butterfly journey has a dark, gooey, solitary space in the middle, but it's where the transformation happens. Nice. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people who, like, for example, I know that you've got another perspective shift where you talk about our purpose being a verb instead of a noun. Can you dig into that a little bit? Yeah, you know, especially in the United States, there's a, we have like performance anxiety when it comes to purpose. <laughs> purpose, performance anxiety, because it's not like everybody has one, but I don't have one. Or, you know what? I left my purpose in the bathroom at the gas station <laughs> as if it's like some, something like you have as a possession. The reality is, as Richard Leiter, one of our faculty members at MEA who wrote a book called The Power of Purpose says, there's a big P purpose and there's a small P purpose. The big P purposes are the ones that we sort of like identify with and you know, you were impressed by, et cetera. But most of the purposes that are really important in our life are small P purposes. You know, I have a, I have a garden in my backyard that I, I really want to tend to. And I'm, I have a purpose of like tending to that garden. So don't get distracted by the big P purposes. Number one. Number two is if you're feeling like you're missing your purpose or that you like need to seek it out, start with the verb. The verb is to be purposeful and ask yourself the question, at what in my life could I be purposeful right now? And, and then the sub question to that is what excites me? What irritates me? What do I find fascinating and I'm curious about? Those are the potential breadcrumbs that allow a purposeful activity that will lead you to your purpose. So you might find like, you know, who knows that you might find that there's a particular 
climate change may be something that is on your mind and you're feeling very strongly about it, but you don't have, you don't feel like you have a purpose. So go out and learn everything you can. Be purposeful about doing research. Be purposeful about volunteering. Be purposeful around that topic because just being purposeful around that, even on the side while you have a full-time gig doing something else, may lead you to the breadcrumbs of finding the actual purpose as well as potential alternative career path. I know that, you know, we're not necessarily sticking with any kind of specific age range here, but I know that there's some cross-generational and maybe you talk about intergenerational when you talk about mentoring relationships where it's, it's kind of the traditional, but not mentoring relationship, but there's a spin to it. Yeah. By the year 2025, Eric, the majority of Americans will have a younger boss. We've never seen this before. I mean, like that is the U.S. Department of Labor stat. Uh, today, it's like 44% of us have a younger boss. So get ready for a different era in the organizational workplace because we're going to need to learn from each other. It's like a new generational compact or a generational potluck. So to be a mentor is someone who's a mentor and intern at the same time. It's a form of mutual mentorship. So Brian Chesky is the CEO of Airbnb. I was his mentor, but I also reported to him as the head of global hospitality and strategy. And so what an interesting relationship. He was 21 years younger than me. So that's going to be more normal. And so I think the beautiful opportunity here is to say, wow, at a potluck, everybody brings to the table what they do best. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could do that generationally in the workplace? And I think the companies that are going to actually get this right are going to be so far ahead of the companies that don't give it attention. So I I think, you know, there's a lot of focus and energy on DEI, diversity and inclusion. But only 8% of the Fortune 1000 companies in the world actually have expanded their DEI thinking to include age, age diversity. And I think it's essential. Well, and that one's one that's been around longer than the awareness of some of the other ones that you traditionally are brought up when the acronym DEI is, is brought up. Oh, so, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And I think that you're absolutely right. I have had times over the course of the past 10 years now where people that I've reported to have been in a good way. I've been shocked to find out how much younger they are than me, which one, Mm. I, you know, again, I'm not talking about ageism or anything like that, but they were mature in ways that didn't lead me to think that they were traditionally in a sense, younger or, you know, in a place of, you know, still just coming up. In other words, they had wisdom air quotes beyond their years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, which is great because it means that the physics of wisdom, which was always historically like, okay, from old to young is like now the physics moves in both directions if we're open to it. And I think this is the, you know, generational opportunity we have here. So, yeah, I think that's, I mean, again, I think this is an appropriate time to be having this conversation because there's a lot of shift in the workplace. There's a lot of, you know, we're talking in early 2023 for the past six, seven months, maybe more, haven't been mapping it on a timeline. There's been massive or more prominently called out in the news, we'll say, just layoffs and things like that. And uncertainty and anxiety when it comes to career choices and positions and things like that. And I think that this is a a refreshing and even kind of here, let's talk about this as far as age goes, shoehorn conversation, right? If you know what that term means, sliding into in in ease helps you get into and enter into a metabolism mode like we've been talking about. 
It is the future. So for anybody who's you know having a hard time with this or just saying, okay, boomer, the generations can't get along. Just know that if you look at the demographics of the world and specifically the United States, demographics are destiny and demographics are predictable. So you have you know, fewer younger people in the world and the U.S. You have people staying in the workplace longer. You have, you know, the average age of who's the boss is dropping. So all of this is there. And now it's just a matter of how do we act upon it. I think that's a good place to kind of cap here and say, obviously, the work that you're doing is leading the way in the Modern Elder Academy. Talk a little bit more about how and when and why you started that and where people can find out more about that. Yeah. Well, now after my time at Airbnb, I wrote a book, I started writing a book called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And while writing that book, I had a a bit of an epiphany, which is that there's no such thing as a midlife wisdom school, a place to go reimagine and repurpose yourself. And so I decided being a hospitality leader and someone who has a background in understanding personal growth retreats, because I was on the board of a place called the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California for 10 years. Long story short, I said, I'm going to create something like that. And I did five years ago, over five years ago. And it was very big and successful. And then COVID came along and so we created online programs and we decided we're going to create uh, two campuses in Santa Fe, New Mexico with this first one opening early 2024. So people can access us at modernelderacademy.com and you don't have to come to Mexico, to Baja to experience this. You can actually, we'll have our Santa Fe workshops up there on the website starting in the summer. But our online programs are really popular. And those are like six and eight week courses, but it's not like just doing things on your own. It's actually, we, Carrie, who runs it, Carrie Carnale, calls it digital intimacy. How do you actually get to know people in online education format in a way where you really get to know them? So there's two particular workshops. One starts in, at the end of May, which is called uh, Navigating Midlife Transitions. The next one is a purpose course called Living and Working on Purpose that is starting again in the fall. Great. I'm really looking forward to digging in a little bit more myself in that. And I know the listeners will be interested in checking that out as well. I'll make sure to link up to everything that we've mentioned in the show notes for this episode. Chip, this has been great. I really think that for someone out there, this episode, this conversation is going to be a moment to pause or pivot, but especially to start them considering and then actually creating an atrium. And I can't wait to see what that person does with that. So thank you for this. Thank you, Eric. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Chip Conley as much as I did. I really like having definitions or new definitions, I should say, for the word elder and elderly and wisdom and experience. And I especially love him talking about metabolizing experience. I know that that's definitely something I need to be doing more of and integrating that, one, into the show, and two, into my life. And as the seasons are changing to be warmer, that is definitely one of those times where I love to get outside and reminisce and go through and, you know, and he talked about journaling, but not in that same sense of the word and not in, you know, keeping a diary. It's more cataloging and chronicling. It's almost like captain's log on Star Trek, right? Being able to learn from those things, in other words, is incredibly important. If you found this conversation helpful, I'd love for you to do me a favor and do someone else a favor by sharing this episode with them. Think of that person, hit the share button wherever you're listening to this or over on the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com. Share it with them. Let them know you were thinking of them. Thank you so much for doing me that favor and sharing. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next episode.